1: This podcast exists because of the paid members at DecodingTV.com. Sign up at DecodingTV.com to become a paid member, get ad-free episodes and early access to episodes, and help to keep this podcast running. Thanks to everyone at DecodingTV.com who makes this podcast possible.
0: You were abducted. Stop saying that. I had a bad day. I needed some time to clear my head. Did I leave the house a mess? I know you think I'm this kind of perfect woman, wife, mother. But you know, even I got a breaking point.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Streaming, a Decoding TV podcast. I'm David Chen, and I will have some of that cake, thank you. (laughs) Joining me today, you've seen her work on her YouTube channel where she goes by Jesse Gender. Uh, Jesse Earl, welcome back to Decoding TV.
0: Oh, gosh there, David. It's so good to be here. I'm just hanging out and uh, in my hot tub talking about traditionalist uh, gender values. How don't you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nicely done. Uh, Well, each week, this week in streaming, we cover a show that's new and interesting in the world of streaming. We tell you if it's worth watching and if it is, we'll review and spoil and discuss the entire season of the show. This week, we are covering Fargo season five. Episodes one through five; those episodes entitled "The Tragedy of the Commons," "Trials and Tribulations," "The Paradox of Intermediate Transactions Insolubilia, and "The Tiger." Uh, now, Jesse Earl, this is a kind of a, a little bit of a late addition to the uh, to the this week in streaming catalog. I think. Um, I had not been watching the show as it was mm. airing. Mm. Uh, but I had talked with you about what you're watching. And you had said, oh, I'm loving Fargo season five. So I watched all five episodes of Just the season in one day. <laughs>
0: oh, gosh. oh, gosh.
1: And, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I was so compelled by it. I said, hey, let's cover the show. If you're up for it, of course, Jesse graciously agreed. So I'm so excited uh, to talk about it with you. We're going to talk about overall thoughts. right? And then we're going to move into a fairly mm. detailed spoilery recap. You can find more episodes of the show at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com and find us across all platforms, especially on YouTube, where you may be watching this at youtube.com slash at decoding TV. All right, Jesse Earl, let's talk about Fargo season five overall thoughts. Then we'll get into spoilery detailed recap. Uh, and I guess, You know, even before we get to Fargo Season 5, let's talk about our relationship to the movie and also to the series. Mm -hmm. Uh, You go first, Jesse. What are your thoughts on the film? What are your thoughts on the series? You know, have you been keeping up all these years? Oh,
0: yeah. I've been watching every season as it's come out, and I've been a huge fan uh, of the show since its very first season. Like, every season has been... Other than last season, season four was, I think, probably its weakest. And I think that's generally the sentiment for most people. Um, this series, I think, has been really strong. Has always centered, like, really interesting and, like, unique performances. I think uh, probably the most unique was uh, season three where they had Ian McGregor doing, like, a dual performance against himself playing two different characters, which was mm-hmm. kind of fun. Um, but yeah, no, I think the show has always been really clever. Always takes, like, weird, wild swings, yet still somewhat feels very fargo Um, And I'm also a big fan of Noah Hawley because he also wrote um, Legion, which is one of my favorite superhero shows of all time. Um, So, yeah, I I, I appreciate the shows just constantly uh, swinging for the fences and taking weird choices, um, especially with such a uh, like a unique property with Fargo, like it being sort of a murder mystery sort of Minnesotan uh, story. So, yeah, I've I've been I've been loving this series other than season four, which I thought was a bit of a dip. But again, it's, you
1: know, it's. Every series has one, I assume. <laughs> so, I watched season one. I thought it was okay. I mm-hmm. watched season two and thought it was great. And then I kind of just fell off. You know, there, there's a pretty significant amount of time between seasons, and so mm-hmm. uh, I kind of fell off the Fargo train and then never got back on. But uh, my host on the FilmCast, Jeff Kanata, had said season five was excellent, mm-hmm. and so uh, you said it was excellent, and so yeah. I thought to myself, I got to check this out. Um, so let's talk about our overall thoughts on these first five episodes. I mean, the season premiere of season five mm-hmm. opens the season <laughs> so strongly that yeah. it, it's one of those episodes where I watched it and I thought, okay, it doesn't matter how bad the rest of the season is. It was worth this That was this so moment. good yeah. that it's going to propel me to the end of the season. I, I can coast off the fumes of that. <laughs> through the end of the season, uh, because not only is it an exceptionally well-made piece of genre entertainment that hour alone, mm-hmm. but it also is like a really fun reimagining of one of the scenarios from the Ex- movie Fargo. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, what, what were your thoughts on on this season? No, so it's far? the
0: same exact thing, and I think the season generally, and it's kind of gone in its own places as the season's gone along, but it certainly has even much more than perhaps maybe other than season one, than the rest of the other seasons drawn directly from the original movie. Um, and I think that that's somewhat a response to season four, considering season four was just this really different take. Cause it was set in Kansas city was dealing mm. with sort of like uh, the, um, the different gangs that were sort of around there. And I believe the, what did I, what was it? The 1980s or something like that. Um, I forget exactly when it's set, but it was, it was just a very different uh, like, take that didn't really work for everybody um so this feels like a very back to basics sort of show uh, season for the show um and i've and i really like that it sort of started from that base of just going back to what the film was doing and then kind of going on its own thing but then also really bringing in a lot of uh things to say about today like a lot of the politics Mm. of sort of like rural and like midwestern america um in sort of like trumpian style politics and and like uh things like that and 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 setting the series like just before COVID 19 like they make very explicit it's 2019 (laughs) 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 in the show was just uh was just interesting so yeah i think that this this series is like it, it, well, it, it,
1: any thoughts on why they they said it in in 2019 just so they I, don't need to deal with covid i think, all, right? I think like, that
0: that's really the the thing it's like the, it's yeah. close enough that they can still have a lot of the co- like political commentary that they they yeah. want to have while also not being like well we have to wear masks and covid yeah i think it was just a yeah. covid thing
1: yeah perhaps perhaps um and also perhaps when, you know, certain MAGA types might have felt like at the height of their power, which yeah, is yeah. uh at least one of the heights of their power. We'll see what happens in a Yeah, we'll years. see what um, happens. Well. So uh anyway, yeah, I, I really liked the first five episodes of the season. We'll be covering uh the whole season, you know, in five or so weeks from now mm-hmm. here on This Week in Streaming, but just wanted people to know kind of like uh, wanted to let people know where we are with this show. And that is that, as you said, Jesse, the first five episodes were were pretty strong. There's yeah. some yeah, fantastical like- stuff out there that is like, I'm not <laughs> sure where it's going and it might go nowhere interesting or it might be a little bit too random to really fit in with the show. Uh, it's strong <laughs> choices, that that least to be said. <laughs> decisions have been made. Yeah. Decisions have been made. I, I mean, I think... Uh, Everything that has to do with the central character of this season who mm-hmm. is played by Juno Temple, I think is excellent. Whenever Juno Temple is not on screen, I'm like, when are we going to get back to the Juno Temple character? Yeah. Right? Uh, and the other stuff, uh, John Hamm, I also really like. And the other stuff is a little bit weaker. Um, uh, for instance, there is a very wealthy character mm-hmm. uh, played by, I believe, Jennifer Jason Lee, right? Uh, yep, I believe so. plays yeah. Lorraine. And... Uh, it is. It, it feels extremely repetitive. With if you've seen Mike Flanagan's The Fall of the House of Usher, this year. yes, yeah, uh, like not only the character and the mannerisms, but like literally both. You know, the House of Usher and Lorraine have dodgy lawyers who like go and do all their bidding. For <laughs> I them. was thinking that uh, exactly. Mo- too. Most of their action takes place in this room that has floor to ceiling, like in this corporate. Uh, Mm -hmm. office that has floor to ceiling windows so like visually it looks very similar um i i just think it's unfortunate that both of these shows came out at about the same time
0: and actually the show Um, was supposed to come first it got delayed because
1: of the strike um mm -hmm, so
0: it's kind of a a but it feels like
1: oh i I feel like i've seen this and also i didn't really love it the first time i saw it so like Mm. this time around i'm not loving that stuff either um that's probably one of the weaker aspects of the show for me but anyway uh Overall, super strong first half of the season, and uh, I think there is plenty to discuss. As you said, yeah. a very socially relevant commentary as well. So it's not just it's not just trying to be fun genre fluff. It's trying to actually say something, mm-hmm. and I think that's also admirable as well. So yeah, and, and in uh, ways that yeah. feel both uh, on the nose and also subtle at the same time. In weird. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, so much to dive into, but anyway, those are our overall thoughts. On Fargo Season 5, Episodes 1 through 5. Oh, gosh. Oh. It's, so, it's
0: so good. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know where to go with that. I just <laughs> I have to have an excuse. I, I, I roomed with a, one of my roommates in college was uh, from Minnesota, so I just picked up the accent just for fun to
1: make fun mm-hmm. of them. <laughs> wow. All right. All right. Uh. Well, anyway, those are our overall thoughts on the first five episodes. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry? Rebag is the answer. Let's get to uh, the rest of the show and what actually happened this season. What we're gonna do is rather than do like episode by episode recap, uh, Jesse has graciously broken it down by character, uh, and so uh, we'll take turns kind of discussing some of the main characters and then like go into what happens with each of the characters. So, and it kind of uh, and it kind of goes in chronological order too. But uh,
0: yeah,
1: so all right, I'll start. Jesse, we'll take turns. Uh, I'll start with Dot. Set in Scandia, Minnesota, Dot, uh, who's played by Juno Temple, a housewife, finds herself in trouble when she inadvertently tasers an officer at her child Scotty's school board meeting. Arrested by a deputy, Indira Olmstead, Dot's troubles escalate as she is later kidnapped by criminals Munch and Ireland. After a daring escape, Dot conceals the events and returns home, leaving her doe-eyed husband Wayne puzzled. And Dot's mother-in-law, Lorraine, a cutthroat businesswoman who owns a debt collection agency, intensely suspicious of Dot after learning of the events from an investigation by the local police. So Mm -hmm. that is largely the Dot storyline. The first episode of this show is so dazzling because, uh, you know, the home invasion happens very much like the home invasion scene happens in... Uh, Fargo, the film, and so mm-hmm. I've seen Fargo that mo- uh, the movie Fargo probably I don't know six times. I, yep. I already am intimately familiar with how that scene goes, and you know the the framing is the same and the setup is the same, and it's this woman named Dot at home. But then things don't it play out the same way as they do in the differently. Film. Yeah, and it is so delightful and surprising. And then and, and okay, Jesse, I was thinking to myself, all right, well, just the fact that she kind of got the jump on them in the house. That's already awesome. Like that's already Mm -hmm. like, I've already been rewarded for like paying attention to Fargo, but then she manages to escape from them uh, and have this standoff in this gas station, which is extremely well shot and executed. Like Mm -hmm. just uh, the lighting, the editing, the fact that Dot is really creative with how she is able to kind of take these guys down. Uh, The first episode is just, one it's, of my favorite hours story. of television yeah, yeah, this yeah. year. Yeah. What What are your thoughts, Jesse? No, I was just agreeing.
0: I was just sitting back and just agreeing with you because, yeah, it is fantastic. I love that it sort of subverts a lot of the expectations based on the movie as well. Because it's not just Dot, but also her husband Wayne, as we'll get into a little bit more later on. But even from this first episode, first episode we can see he's like actually a caring husband, and he has the same mm. exact job as um. Well, I'm a blanking on his name. The car salesman, Jerry Lundegaard from, the... from yes. Fargo, yeah. yes, w- uh, William same... H Macy's character. Yes, William H Macy's character says same exact job, and there's actually even a scene that's set in like his office that looks very similar as well in one mm-hmm. of the later episodes. And it's just it's very clearly evoking that, and yet he is actually a caring husband. He's not the one setting her up to be kidnapped or hiring people. So it is really fun how it like if you've seen the original movie, you can be rewarded. Um, but it, it it sort of plays with that in a really fun way, and also I think. Like allows Dot to have a lot more agency as a character, um, in this version, and in the, the films, because like having a sort of damsel in distress sort of woman character, um, probably wouldn't fly as much today, um, and so I, I really, really do like appreciate that. So yeah, and also just like shout out to Juno Temple's performance like I loved her in Ted Lasso um, and she's she's not playing a character that's so far afield of that character in Ted Lasso Mm -hmm. and yet there's there seems to be a lot of like really interesting depth and nuance that like like just comes out at different moments throughout the season that I really love
1: yeah I mean there is a scene that she has with Lorraine later on where she drops the accent and and just just goes goes straight it's like you just let me listen up you be you know exactly and and that's like amazing where you realize like the whole thing is a put on that that character mm-hmm. has. Uh, but she likes I it. She
0: likes that performance too. Yeah. She, she enjoys being the like housewife that like, like it's just sort of that facade of like, is fiercer than she lets on, but she likes just being like, she just likes being the caring wife, you know, which I thought it's was a really com- interesting.
1: You know, it's a common trope of former assassin desires to have the regular life, you know, everyday life. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of like other movies in which that's happened. I want to say like Salt is yeah. probably one of those movies where you know this character is like a housewife and we well, not a housewife because she had her she had a career in that movie, but mm-hmm. like uh, you know she she desires a normal domestic life with someone, mm-hmm. and it's not just women either. Like there's a, 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 obviously many stories where like there's a male character that occupies that role, mm-hmm. um, but sometimes people all people want is to live the suburban life. Yeah. And it's very clear that this is what she wants and she's literally willing to kill people. Yeah. to have it. Bad people. She's not mm-hmm. evil or anything, but she's she's willing to kill bad people to have it, which I think is really And even interesting.
0: like and even kind of like uh, endanger herself and her family to a degree with it yeah. as well because yeah. she makes some reckless choices as the season goes on where she's just like I'm just going to complete like I'll prepare for it but like I'm not going to do I'm not going to like run away or anything like that which could does put her husband and child in danger, which is interesting. It's like you understand why, where she's coming from and why she makes the decisions she makes. Is like where is she going to go. But also it is a sort of like
1: it's a difficult rock and a hard place choice. Yeah. Uh, but the whole series hangs on this character in mm-hmm. order to work. This season at least hangs on this character in order to function. And I think she acquits herself very well. Yeah uh and it's it's a very different performance than what i've seen her in like the first movie i saw her in was this movie called afternoon delight i don't (laughs) know if you've seen that film no i have not yeah it was in uh it was released in 2013 and she plays this stripper that uh enters the life of this suburban housewife and like kind of you know her her very presence like reconfigures their whole dynamic and environment. And I, I think it's really interesting to see that she's kind of playing a version of the character, um, that Catherine Hahn played in that movie afternoon delight that very few people have actually seen. So anyway, we can move on from that topic, but, yeah. uh, yes, dot super interesting, super well done. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention is I like how DIY, a lot of dots, uh, let's Traps just say are. defensive techniques are mm-hmm. right. Like, um, She doesn't seem like somebody who is ex special forces, but Mm -hmm. she does seem like somebody who is ex survivalist, right? Like, there's, she doesn't have like, I don't think she has like, um, elite weapons training but she knows how to use weapons she knows how to like rig things up the way she took down this guy in the bathroom using bags of ice was really interesting that you know, was like, great yeah uh, uh and, and
0: also like subverting people like subverting people's expectations of what she's gonna do as just like uh when she like hides in the closet and then comes rushing out at one point in the first right. episode i
1: believe as well so yeah yeah uh, and i thought her dra- her dynamic with the John Ham's son character, or I guess it, it, I think it might be her son. It, that was. That I don't think it's very me. clear. It's definitely yeah. it's definitely
0: John Ham's son. I don't know yeah.
1: if it's officially. Because he's had that... two. He's had two wives, like one wife before her. I think is mm-hmm. what we understand, and so she definitely uh, has a relationship with Gator, right? right. Uh, which is John Ham's son. And it, there was a, there was a very interesting moment when like he, he he and his buddies are storming their house, Uh and. He confronts her and is like, hey, you're come on, let's just, why are we doing this? Let's just go, you know, just get in the van and let's go. And, uh, I, I, you know, it's just like a, kind of an interesting dynamic that it's rarely seen where uh, you, you expect kind of the trope of the damsel in distress, but it's like, it's not only not damsel in distress, it's somebody who kind of has a relationship with these people yeah. who... And she she's, she's she does fighting, kind of act
0: like a mother, too. She, like, shames him. It's like, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> it <laughs> right, was a very, yeah. again, even if she's not, like, actually his biological mother, there's sort of, like, that, like, shame on you, like, sort of vibe to,
1: right. to a kidnapping, which was uh, very fun. It, it almost feels like they, like, reverse engineered the plot. Like, they're like, okay, what if that scene mm-hmm. from Fargo, but the woman was a complete badass? And it's like, okay, well, what are the circumstances under which that would even happen? And it's mm-hmm. like... It, she was married to this John Hamm character, and he taught her all these skills that she's now using against him, and so on. You know, and I think it, it it all works, but it's just kind of I'm yeah. It's very how that like was probably up. the pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, that's stuff on Dot. We'll talk a little bit more about her as we continue. But tell us about Roy Tillman, Jesse Earl. Well. Dot's kidnappers were hired by her ex-husband,
0: Roy Tillman, played by John Hamm, a tyrannical and hyper-traditionalist sheriff in North Dakota, whom she escaped and started a new identity to avoid. Roy orders his son and deputy, Gator, to continually attempt to kidnap Dot to repeated failures. Roy also bumps up against the FBI, who are investigating Roy's unwillingness to enforce laws and his authoritarian behavior. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: So, what do you think of John Hamm? I think he's he's great this season. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's nailing this character, and um, you can you can totally see why that guy would be that way, like mm-hmm. in the way that he performs that character. Yeah, um, yeah. What do you yeah think?
0: no no it's, it's a, he is very clearly meant to be a commentary he's not meant to be like a one for one for tr- with Trump but meant to be sort of an embodiment of that sort of hyper individualist like traditionalist yeah. values sort of guy like I think of the scene that we uh get introduced to him in which was very fascinating kind of comes back later on where he's speaking to a husband and wife and sort of like admonishing the the husband for mistreating his wife but also sort of reinforcing these ideas with the wife of like you need to care for him like he is your husband you you uh you you've got to like be the good housewife um and sort of like enforcing these sort of like roles of like this is what a man and woman are man is in charge but he sort of like has to be this rugged individualist sort of guy um it's 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 just this really interesting discussion of masculinity and sort of that individualist strongman sort of conservative politic.
1: Yeah, I would also argue uh, heavy... I don't know if, like, Christian is the correct term for it, but it's clearly Mm. very biblically inspired, I would argue. Yes, um, yes. That, uh, you know, man's place is at the head of the home and the woman's place is to serve the man and Mm the man's place is to protect the woman. Like, it's a very... uh, I'm not saying... Uh, all Christians believe that, but there are certain sect like fundamentalist uh, Christians, yeah, sects thing, of yeah. Christianity, sects of Christianity that like use those scriptures to reinforce an ultra conservative worldview of how the family should be organized. Uh, and I think his, you know, not only is that his, you can imagine that's his relationship with his own family, but he tries to um, bring that out into the world as well. Uh, what was, I I watched this movie recently. I think it was on Amazon prime, uh, about the, one of those families that had all the kids, you know? Um, Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, the quiverful movement, uh, documentary. Let me see. I I just want to make sure. Um, it's it's uh was it quiverful inside the patriarchy movie? Anyway, it, it was no. That's not that's a book. Um, one, it, one was, those, it was so
0: like you, you're the woman's job is to repeatedly pump out as many babies as possible. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think it was um, it, it was it was like about John and K plus eight or something like that. You know, it was about one of those families that had like uh tons of uh kids, and it was anyway. I, I apologize, I don't remember the exact name I, I feel like I talked about it on the film cast some way, but anyway one of the one of the points of that documentary was that uh, that the teachings of christian- or certain teachings of Christianity can be easily used and abused by those who wish to start cults right mhm mhm. And it very much feels like that's kind of what he has done or how he sees himself, right? As this leader who, Mm. um, not only, uh, can do what he wishes, but can kind of enforce his version of truth and justice upon everyone else. And this is no more like, this is clearest when he straight up kills that abusive husband and then pins one of the murders on him, right? Like Mm. it, it is because he's like, Oh, okay. I'm like people's lives are basically dispensable like i i am judge jury and executioner and not only can i kill people as i wish but i'm going to uh reconfigure truth in such a way that is maximally beneficial to me and for my self preservation Mm -hmm. and so uh I, i think that's a really kind of compelling and also demonstrably something that people have done in real life is they've used scriptures in order to uh kind of enforce this cult-like worldview on them and their followers and their family and their friends and so on and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. So that's also uh pretty interesting. I'm g- kind of curious where that's going to end up. Jesse yeah, Rowe, as, any any thoughts as, there?
0: Me as well. I mean, I'm also curious about two. Um, there's a really good scene too, where he's in the hot tub uh, talking to the mm-hmm. FBI agents and they sort of also have this interesting discussion of like, he's not enforcing the laws and it's more about like how he's pressing his own, Sort of way of viewing the world through his authority that he is like he won through theoretically, quote unquote, democratic means, though, of course, it's sort of implied that he got that through uh, coercion and intimidation. But it's just sort of interesting is sort of like the might makes right sort of argument uh, that he sort of brings up there, um, which I found
1: interesting. So, yeah, I'm curious to see where they're going to go with his story. I love the dynamic between him and his son Gator. Like Gator, mm. oh yes. is such an such a jerk <laughs> and not particularly competent, right? No. And uh, and you kind of know who that character is right away. You're like, this mm-hmm. is this guy is super hateable. Arguably more hateable than John Hamm himself because he's so annoying. Yeah, he reminds uh, and, me of Cyril Karn from Star Wars Andor. Same, yes, very similar vibes. Very similar dynamics, except he's more—he uh, has more weapons, right? He's yes. more armed. Yes, uh, but yeah, is very similar. Like, wants to enforce this fascism onto the people, but doesn't really have the competence to do it. Um, he—he kind and it's continually he, the, shamed by by. Sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, no worries. Uh, well, the 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 character reminds me a lot of the uh the dynamic. Between Gator and his father reminds me of the dynamic between John Ham's character and Pete Campbell, uh uh Don Draper and Pete Campbell in Mad Men. Like, I've never seen Mad Men, this... which is a oh, show. Okay. I, yeah. Anyways, Basically, yeah. there is like one guy who um cannot live up to the masculine ideals of John ham in the show Mad Men. And so he always has this big chip on his shoulder and always is trying to like be a man and be impressive. And he's always failing at it. And it's kind of very sad. Uh And that's kind of who the Gator character is. He is, you just know, like when he, like when he's assigned a new task, which happens multiple times in the first five epi- episodes, he's going to fail horribly and be humiliated. Uh And, I'll be surprised if he survives to the end of the season. What do you think, Jesse Earl?
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting if he does too. I, I love that idea of also the shame that he feels and that sort of like reinforcement of his masculinity being continually emasculated, uh, just being this like propellant force that caused him to do dumber and dumber and more violent and more harmful things. So I-, I, I curious yeah, to see yeah. where that is going to eventually reach its peak because I feel like there's going to be a moment where he's just going to be so emasculated by either John hammer dot or somebody or a mixture of the two that it's going to come out in some form of violence, knowing Fargo, it will be like a very violent, erupture. rupture. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm very curious what they're building towards with, with
1: that. Uh, Cause it's going to be... snap basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and exactly. Terrible exactly. In and do
0: something stupid and very terrible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway I, I love the dynamic between the two of them also you can tell a lot but just by their wardrobe honestly mm-hmm. right like John Hamm's clothing is very loose fitting and it kind of matches he's like largely very casual about the fact that he can do whatever he wants whereas Gator is kind of dressed up in these like military fatigues and you know really wants to like show everyone that he's the boss mm-hmm. but like the people who are really the boss they don't feel like they need to demonstrate that to others You know? mm-hmm. uh I guess I have some thoughts on on Munch, but we can talk about <laughs> him momentarily because it's related to to, uh, to Gator and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah. Trying to think if there's anything else to say about this storyline.
0: Um, we'll get a little bit more when it intersects because I, I found how that storyline intersects with Lorraine in a little bit very interesting, but we can get to that yeah, one Yeah, yeah, that that's fair. That's fair. Okay.
1: Let's talk about Munch. Munch, one of Dot's captors, proves to be a ruthless criminal with a penchant for violence who only refers to himself in the third person. After Munch asks for more money upon learning of Dot's resourcefulness, Roy attempts to have Munch killed, but Munch escapes and begins a vendetta against Roy's men. He also takes up residence in a random woman's house. <laughs> in a flashback to 500 years in the past, we see Munch or a past incarnation of Munch being paid to take on a, man's, uh, a dead man's sins into his soul, painting the modern day Munch as either an immortal cursed man or an unknown supernatural force. Uh, this...
0: <laughs> Sorry, just the, the random yeah. swerve that that story takes
1: <laughs> right so so essentially like you're watching the show and the character of munch is this really cool archetype of like anton chigurh-esque mm-hmm. i'm gonna kill everybody because they wronged me i mean munch seems like a complete badass but the only thing that doesn't make any sense to me is why he would think Roy would pay him after not having completed the job that didn't, that part didn't make any sense to me but you know yeah. everything else uh all, all adds up and then you know he is going around executing Roy's men one by one and like doing threatening scary things and then all of a sudden he shows up in this old woman's house who he calls mama but apparently is not related to him Yeah, just a random person. By the way. (laughs) (laughs) And then it flashes back 500 years into the past where a guy who looks like Munch, played by actor Sam Spruill, engages in the ritualistic practice of sin eating. Now, I didn't even really remember this, right? But in the olden days, there would be these people called sin eaters who would eat a cake or a piece of food that supposedly had the sins of a deceased person. Bestowed onto it, and that way the sin eater would be absorbing the badness and evil and sin. Uh, advantage it was a paid role, uh, and you uh, probably got to make a decent living uh, from it. Disadvantage if you were a sin eater, uh, you would often be shunned fr- by society. Uh, mm-hmm. People would not want to associate with you for fear of the sin rubbing off on them. So it was a very lonely and terrible existence. Uh, so, anyway. Jesse, what was your reaction when we flash back five hundred years in the past, and then is is that the same guy as the president? Like what 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 is happening? What do you think? going on?
0: I loved this. It was such a weird. Take to go, but it felt it was so weird, and yet felt very Fargo and also very Cohen Brothers. Despite it, um, I mean, you mentioned Anton Chigurh, who, like in that movie, he does sort of have that sort of supernatural force presence, even though he's it's never explicitly made that way. He does feels that right. way. So, like this character feels very much uh in that same vein, and I I I I really liked it because it just paints this interesting sort of. Like third entity, sort of like encroaching on this storyline. That he he honestly he hasn't had much to do directly in these past five episodes. I mean he's had he's had some influence. He's like shown up and killed some people and and like made like things more up the stakes in a certain sense. Um, But in terms of like his direct presence on the storyline, in terms of like his desires and actions pressing upon it, it's not really had that much influence. And and so it it just creates this like foreboding sense. Uh, especially when we got this flashback that like just some sort of force in the world is sort of ethereal and, and sort of revolves around these types of incidents that I found really, really fascinating as as a choice. And also just sort of what paints him as like this, again, the idea of like the sin eating and like taking upon sin. Um, it, it's an interesting concept to sort of put into this because it's a lot of our characters are kind of playing with that idea, especially Dot, where she's like trying to excise like I, we don't know if she did anything particularly bad in the past but she's definitely trying to excise her past in some way so it just it's an interesting sort of like uh, additional thematic component that sort of like draws out the themes of what the characters are trying to to play with so i just i found that it, and also too you could even you can even tie in the idea of lorraine you know lorraine as being this like overbearing like cutthroat businesswoman And presumably like the sin eaters would eat the sins of pretty terrible people or people who have done like who have money to be able to have their sins eaten. And so there's even that sort of like class discussion that you could even bring into with the character of Munch as well. So I don't know. It's just he's just this weird outside thing that I think is just it adds some really fun vibes that I think thematically complements the show
1: in, in really interesting ways. Yeah, some of the stars and creators of Fargo have talked to TV Insider and mm-hmm. given some insight no, on what is going it. on with this character. So mm-hmm. I wanted to read some quotes here. Uh, again, these are from TV Insider. Noah Hawley says, quote, what I wanted to explore with, Munch oh, wow. character, with the Munch character really was this idea of debt and sin eating and this idea of what the rich make the poor do. And part of what the rich do to the poor is make them feel like it's their fault they're poor. And that if these poor people have to borrow money from us, it makes them less than. And then we impose this morality on them that they can't pay back, end quote. Um, What's yeah. actually Go good ahead. with Lorraine – I I didn't even read it because you added
0: these after in our yeah. in our notes after uh, we did this. I actually hadn't read this. But, yeah, that even ties really nicely into Lorraine being a debt collector Yeah, yeah absolutely. as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Sam Spruill, who plays the character of Munch, uh, had this to say, quote, This guy is not straightforward, and it took me a while to understand um, – And that when he started understanding the the depth of his intention, I got it, Sam Sproul says. And I think the root of him really lay in the sin-eating scene back in Wales. He's been trapped in sin for a long time. He represents somebody who's trapped in sin. And all the connotations that go with that in reference to an underclass that exists in modern America, trapped in the sins of the rich as well, which is also another interesting dimension, end quote. Uh, We see this notion of debt come... uh, is an extremely prominent theme this season. Uh, here are the debts that are relevant. Lorraine's character obviously is a debt collector. Um, uh, Munch plays a sin eater who had to like absorb people's sins. Indira, the cop, uh, she, her husband is like taking on her debts. And it's like another way in which women are subjugated in our society is that Mm -hmm. they have to like take on the financial burden of the people that they marry very often. Uh, And then, of course, the case of Dot, who uh, John Hamm's character, Tillman, is claiming as her own, you know, I mean, he he repeatedly says like she owes. Well, he says says quite literally she
0: owes him as a there's a debt incurred by a wife who uh, marries a husband. And so, like, yes. there's that idea as well.
1: Probably yeah. a little bit too on the nose there with that dialogue, but you know, it's it's landing the point, which is like, this is a season about debts and who we expect them to who who we expect to pay the debts, who the debts are paid to, and how that manifests itself in different areas of our society. Mm-hmm. So, another uh, one too that gets completely said,
0: uh, like, explicitly stated, is Lorraine and the police. Like, there's a scene uh, with Lorraine. Mm-hmm just to bring it up here where she's talking to Indira about like, Hey, you work for like your job as the police is to police the poor people. Like she expressly (laughs) states that Um, you, you don't have any power when you come into our, our space. And it's sort of this idea of like the, the debt that the police owe the powerful or like the, the role they play in enforcing like her being a debt collector. So again, yeah, it's just, it's an interesting
1: theme that runs just through all of this. Yes. It is clearly what, no, Holly was focused on, I think. And I think uh, largely uh, those ideas work in the mm-hmm. context of the season. It doesn't feel like, wow, he's really trying to cram it into all these places. That doesn't make sense with the possible exception of this Munch thing, which is just so off the deep end. I'm like, what is even happening? Here? You know, <laughs> I mean, I think that there's an open question of, is that, is that Munch? Mm-hmm. And he is like some ageless entity. Is that just some guy that looks like Munch who's related to Munch? And the sins are passed down from generation to generation. Is it just a coincidence that that guy happens to look like Munch and he's completely mm-hmm. unrelated to the rest of the plot? We don't know. I don't know that the show will make it clear. But what is clear is that Munch does a lot of creepy ass shit mm-hmm. during the course of the season. He like, breaks in and writes weird symbols on Tillman's children's bedroom and all this stuff like that. Um, I love I the sequ- the sequence that I mentioned earlier uh, where he
0: goes and moves into this woman's house that he has no relationship with. And he just says, I live here now. Yeah, I
1: mean, that, that was an amazing moment. I amazing loved moment. that scene. That was fantastic. I- I'm disappointed because they had been making Munch out to be such a cool, grounded badass. Like everything that Munch did was squarely within the realm of reality. Mm-hmm. and. That's still true, you know. Like he hasn't done anything supernatural yet, but he's clearly influenced by the supernatural. And so I'm mm-hmm. like, I kind of was a fan of Munch, like just being a Anton Chigurh-esque badass. And I don't know where that character is going to go now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, we'll see. For, but for me, I particularly love that stuff. That again, it's, I am yeah. I am the person who loves weird,
0: metaphorical, out there stuff. That yeah. is that is my vibe, so I was here for it. It's
1: clearly like folk horror stuff mm-hmm. that this this uh, show is dealing with. So mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, uh, there's one other character who we should really discuss. Jesse, tell yes, us about yes. Lorraine.
0: After Dot's successful defense of her home from Roy's men results in Wayne ending up in the hospital with brain damage, Lorraine attempts to institutionalize Dot, from which Dot escapes. Lorraine also attempts to stifle the police investigation into Dot out of worry it will cause her or her business trouble. Roy goes to visit Lorraine to seek her help in quote-unquote reclaiming Dot, but Roy's sexism proves distasteful to the ruthless and independent Lorraine who stands up to the sheriff. Dot eventually retrieves her child, Scotty, and brings her to Indira, one of the officers investigating this case, to keep Scotty safe while she attempts to deal with Roy. And that's where we leave off at the end of episode five.
1: What do you think of the Lorraine character, Jesse? For me, the performance is not working for me. It feels mm-hmm. way too over the top, kind of campy, very overly mannered. I'm not loving it, and I say that as a big fan of Jennifer Jason Lee. She, I thought she was awesome in like Hateful Eight, for instance. I think she was also in, I want to say, Possessor. Is that right? Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah she was awesome. Also in, wonderful. Yeah. She's also awesome in that movie. You know, like I, I'm a big fan of. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee and I just this is this performance is not working for me at all but what do you think Jesse
0: it doesn't throw me out as much uh, but I will say she is very kind of one note it's kind of like, hey, mm-hmm, yeah, yes. it's, it's like a very like kind of like like 1920s businessman sort of put on to this character sort mm-hmm, of vibe mm-hmm. to her. Um, and and it doesn't really evolve that much. The, the part that I found most interesting was right at the end of episode five where she does have that scene with Roy, which is why I wanted to call it out, where she she's had this sort of like antagonism and dislike of Dot throughout the entire like season so far but then when she sees roy and just him being a complete sexist asshole uh it, it sort of pushes up against her like probably the sexism that she's dealt with with being a woman in that space and her sort of like being like oh well screw you you're an asshole and she kind of like i i doubt she would be like oh i'm dots the best but she sort of like pushes back against roy and say she doesn't owe you crap um, and so it's I, nice when
1: the two biggest assholes in the show meet exactly. And, then they, and get they to antagonize each other for once Exactly. Nice, like that
0: know? moment added a <laughs> lot more depth to her character. Whereas mm-hmm. throughout the season, she kind of just becomes a mouthpiece for like discussions of the, the 1% in America, mm-hmm, um, which mm-hmm. doesn't really like evolve all that much. And I get why she's here. Like she plays an important role in in the themes and ideas uh, and dynamics that uh, Noah Holly clearly wants to play with. But yeah, I agree. And I think again, you pointed this out in the in the spoiler-free section. But it is uh, definitely a disservice that it comes after um, House of Usher, which I also liked. I think I listened to your review on that, and I, I I definitely came away more positive on that show than I think you did. But I also think that like yeah, this this isn't really exploring anything. Her character isn't exploring anything new that that show didn't already explore until this moment at the end with Roy and Lorraine, which is like where I really hope the rest of the season digs its teeth into, because that was an interesting moment for me.
1: Agreed. And to be clear, I didn't like... You hate hated the, the it. You <laughs> it. You despised no, it. No, I thought it was I thought it was like... Seen. <laughs> I would describe it as fun, but flawed. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I describe it. I, yeah, I had a good I, time I with disagree. certain aspects of it. and uh, But I, I think we can both agree that it is a pretty... Not subtle, over the top show. Yes, it is. It is is
0: very clear in what it's trying. I mean, it has a scene where we see uh, a millionaires standing on a pile of dead corpses, like billions of
1: dead corpses. So uh, (laughs) I I think it's very clear in what it's trying to say in that show. Yeah, but yeah, I I thought when Lorraine confronts uh, the Tillman character, that that's like the one of the highlights of uh, of the season for me Mm -hmm. so far, and. And when she says, you know, oh, you want all the responsibility or you want all the power, but none of the responsibility, you know, um, you know what they have another they have a name for that it's called a baby and just like <laughs> yeah roy like has no response to that like he's mm-hmm. just kind of flummoxed by that and i i really love that you know that's a really wonderful moment
0: and so. this guy who's very much like women are beneath men they they're there to serve men being owned by this very powerful woman it was but again again you have complicated dynamics against Lorraine because Lorraine is also terrible so yeah i just it was it was just very well well done
1: there is this weird episode called the la- the episode five called the tiger, which is mm-hmm. narrated like a documentary. I don't know. Kind of weird. I didn't. Um, yeah. It would have been one thing if they like tried to imitate the aesthetics of a documentary more, you know, but it just felt like a weird thing Decision. to have happen. But this is a, it's a, you know, this is a show that does weird things sometimes like aliens show up and so on. And so, you know, so it's like, it's not completely out of character, but I yeah, what th- do it- you think?
0: What it's an unresolved it? idea because I, I I like the concept. It kind of even similar to Munch, like with Munch's character by showcasing that like this happened, you know, 500 years in the past. Re- whether or not that character turns out to actually Munch or not, um, it, it sort of ties in this idea that these like class distinctions existed throughout time is not a uniquely American problem. Just appears in a way that is unique to America. Um, and this sort of like idea of uh playing with this like documentary tiger idea um, also sort of like playing with like women being more powerful than we think about them being and in nature sort of like we, we've created these ideas that women are weaker than men in our society, but nature doesn't necessarily show that like, it was an idea that I think kind of came out of that same sort of concept of like, look, this doesn't, this ties into other things in the world um, that we're equating to America, but uh, yeah, it just is a half-formed thought. It doesn't really evolve all that much. So,
1: unfortunately, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Um, but uh, you know, everything else that uh, Juno Temple's character does in that episode is super cool. Oh, it's you know, wonderful! The, yeah, the, the way that she escapes from the the institution it reminded me, honestly, this is kind of a random reference of uh, Britney Spears's conservatorship. Mm. Uh, the, this idea that essentially rich people have the resources to have basically anyone declared mentally incompetent and therefore mm-hmm. to be able to neutralize them or otherwise appropriate their resources, uh, I thought was interesting and, and a, a very horrifying notion Right, that yeah. you could be trapped in that situation with very little er- uh, way to escape. But obviously the one, they and everyone else in the show underestimate Dot's abilities to yeah. get out of a situation, yeah.
0: And actually jumping on that too, uh there is one moment that I really did like that um kind of came off the documentary bit, but it actually felt more Sherlock Holmesian. Um there's that moment where they are about to bring her in to the conser- like to the institution and she's has this moment of like trying to think through all the ways she can try to escape the room. And yet none of them actually are like all the ways she thinks of to try to get out of the room are not going to work. And there's literally in that specific situation, there's nothing she could have done to avoid being taken to the institution. And so it's sort of this idea, again, Mm -hmm. if we're going to talk about like gender dynamics that the show is very clearly trying to evoke, it's talking about like even the smartest woman, the woman who has escaped literal murderers and, and people trying to kidnap her. And, and can think in like 4d chess and think about all the moves that she could make still can't escape sometimes when, you know, the institutions or the rich come to take them away and, and put them, put them away. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting sort of discussion about like, you know, how these institutions sort of box in women specifically.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on the Indira character? Um, uh... Uh, you know we I've already t- alluded to how this idea of debt obviously this character is very much in debt, and um her husband is making it even worse for her. My wife was very moved by that final scene with Indira and dot because mm-hmm. this idea of even though Indira is a cop and theoretically a very morally upright one uh she still understands, hey, I have to like bend the rules a little bit for dot uh, out of this idea of female solidarity like they're they're both women who have been wronged somehow by the men that they are with mm-hmm. and uh indira is going to help dot out by you know watching her child for a little bit in a highly elite you know like if, she'd get in big trouble for this if it was ever discovered right yeah um so yeah it any is, thoughts on that character
0: it is interesting I, i'm curious to see if the show they haven't done a lot with it yet but um i'm curious to see what the show is going to do with discussing her role as a police officer i mean we've had lorraine literally tell her "Is like you work for us your job as a police officer is to enforce the the whims of the rich essentially which in America is arguably very, very true. And a lot of our discussions about uh, police, particularly towards people of color and black men specifically in the past few years is, uh, and especially since this set takes place in 2019, just a few years before things like George Floyd and stuff like that. Um, but obviously something that's still going on throughout all of America's history. It's just, it's, it's it, it sort of evokes a lot of these ideas with that. And I'm curious to see what the show's going to ultimately go with that because you also have roy who is a sheriff who also is sort of like uh wielding his power in uh in ways that is you know just benefiting him so i i'm I'm just it hasn't really evolved any of that yet but i am curious that the show seems to be aware of that i'm just sort of curious if it's going to do anything with it also something else too you reminded me of with the um the debt aspect of it is there is also the um the police officer that Dot saved in the very first episode, who feels that he owes like a, a, a debt and thanks to to Dot. So there's also that sort of element floating in there too, thematically, and that that is also framed as like a debt that feels earnest rather than a debt that feels like based in some form of class
1: dynamics. I did think the whole situation with Dot trying to conceal her identity was kind of comical, mm-hmm. uh, or people trying to conceal the Dot's identity, like gator deleting uh the, the photo the picture. from the phone and it's like oh my i can't believe it. i didn't bring a spare of it's like we live in an iphone age you know you're going to be able to easily get another copy of that photo you know yeah. you're at most you're delaying her by about 2 hours well basically.
0: i i actually kind of bought it for both of those characters it is a bit comical but i number one i think that fits the like weird like like black comedy vibes of uh uh of fargo generally um but also like it fits Dot's character where she is almost like kind of um unwilling to face the reality of the situation because she wants to preserve what she has so much and then also with um uh what's his name gator's character uh deleting the phone that just felt like an incompetent idiot move uh that fits his character very well Uh, so like, I think for both of those moments, like they are comical, uh, but I think, I I think it fits the vibe of the show and the characters.
1: I don't, uh, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, In in terms of where I think the show is going, I think, uh, dots eventually going to be able to have a a love, you know, actually let's, let's save that for a minute before we get to my predictions for what's going to happen with the rest of the show. Uh, Jesse, why don't we let people know where they can find more of your work on the internet this week?
0: Yeah, you can find me on my YouTube channel, Jesse Gender, where I do video essay style style of stuff. Um, I just recently released a really long video about the politics of Star Wars, where we did a whole animation segment that in sort of the Tarkovskys Tarkovs, uh, Star Wars Clone Wars animation style, um, but talking about just the history of Star Wars and the monomyth and Joseph Campbell and all that jazz. So I'm really proud of that video. Please go check that out if you can. Um, But I'm also on Jesse Gender After Dark, where I do uh, reviews on that YouTube channel of different TV shows and movies and video games, things like that. And then I'm also on Nebula, which is a streaming service where a bunch of YouTubers put our video essays to escape the algorithm. They put exclusive content on there. And uh, they have really cool things like uh, a mutual friend of ours, Patrick Willems, just recently released a Star Wars holiday special on there, which is a lot of fun. I have a science fiction movie starring John Delancey coming out on there uh, early next year, which I'm pumped for. So, uh, yeah, sign up for Nebula uh, to get all that fun stuff. So that's and then I'm on all the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, all that jazz.
1: Uh, well, you can email us at decoding at gmail.com and uh, become a paid member at decodingtv.com to support this podcast and help to keep it going. We'd love to hear what you think of Fargo and any thoughts you've had about our conversation today. All right, Jesse, I wanted to make a few predictions for how this is all going to wrap up. Uh, I Just to, to be clear, uh, I am terrible at this. So, <laughs> I am also very uh, terrible uh, at this And thing. so do not do not count any of this as uh, as fact or that I even feel super strongly about it. but. I think that probably between John Hamm's character and his son, one of them's going to die and the other one will be arrested by the end Mm -hmm. of the show. Uh, I'm not sure which one is which, but there's going to be some... uh, Basically, John Hamm's character has gone too far and justice must be done and therefore that justice will be in the form of him, uh, one of them being arrested, the other one getting killed. Uh, I don't think it would be satisfying if neither of them died i don't think it'd be satisfied if if or if both of them died or only one of them got you know taken in you know so like or you, you, i think you know what i'm saying like i know what i was saying one idea. of them's going to die one of them's going to get arrested that's kind of my <laughs> that's the function of having two characters one of the functions of having two characters is they can meet different fates and so therefore i think that's what's going to happen there um Lorraine is going to be just fine uh although there's the possibility that the show is going to end with her uh being arrested and then needing to go to trial but like and we're not going to see the results of that but she's going to be just fine because she's going to hire like the best defense yeah team I, I don't see ever. her facing any repercussions like maybe
0: maybe yeah. there'll be an attempt to hold her accountable but
1: yeah either she's arrested or she's not arrested she keeps doing what she's doing mm-hmm. and either way she like continues uh on just fine um and and i think dot and her husband will be reunited and and make a life for themselves even though her husband is uh dealing with probably some kind of permanent damage as a result of his electrocution mm-hmm. um but that like they they will eventually find some kind of peace and be able to make a life together uh in spite of everything that's happened so those are my predictions for how the rest of the season is going to unfold jesse what do you think any any differences to what i've uh, i'm guessing there
0: no, I I think you're generally pretty right about all that. I will just uh, I will go hyper specific just just for the oh, fun. Wow. Of it. I don't I don't know Let's if this is it. where it's going to be, but Let's I will see. I think Dot and Roy will confront each other, and I think Dot will be the one to kill Roy. Um, mm. I think also Munch and Dot will have a scene together where it, it'll probably be late in the late in the series, and it will be Munch sort of having a like respect like he'll have a chance to mm-hmm. kill dot but then we'll be mm-hmm. like no yeah. i see something in you so i'm gonna let you like let you live mm-hmm. and then she goes on to kill roy it'll be like right you, you are in a the fellow, finale
1: you yes. are a fellow sin eater perhaps right? exactly exactly ways, right? yeah like i have absorbed some other debts basically we are and not
0: so right. different you and i yes sort of, <laughs> <sort of> <laughs> seem, <laughs> yeah um yeah i'm trying to think of a. Uh, yeah i think those are like my two very specific
1: uh predictions uh, I do I'm, think there's a world where Roy getting killed is complete, like is due to Munch, and therefore completely doesn't involve Dot at all. I think yeah, that's, that is possible. That is a possible the, way that could go. Yeah.
0: The other way it could go, if you if we kind of go with that reading, is like the Roy and, or sorry, um, Dot and Munch meet up, and Dot walks yeah. away, letting Munch kill. Like right. she has a chance to. And she's like, I'm not going to do it.
1: Munch, you do it. Essentially, yes, hundred percent. Sort of very possible, very possible. All right, well, th- this is fun now, Jesse. We get to come back in five <laughs> see weeks if we, see we got it. how horribly wrong <laughs> both of us were about it. Last this. season's all takes place on a spaceship.
0: It's, <laughs> it's not mean, too far outside it, it, the realm it, of possibility
1: it, it, with this season. It's not series. outside the realm of possibility that we flash backwards 500 years and literally the rest of the season just plays <laughs> out there. Like that's, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't put it past the show. I wouldn't put it past the show. Well, anyway, this has been enormously fun. Uh, Jesse Earl, thank you so much for chatting. Uh, really appreciate you hanging out with me today yeah I know I'm always glad to do it thank you for having me back alright and thanks for listening to Decoding TV more episodes covering the curse uh, Jesse and I are planning to do a murder at the end of the world conversation sometime in the next week or two uh, and also uh, probably there's going to be a p- podcast episode about the, about the crown at some point in the near future so lots to discuss right here on Decoding TV stick around we'll see you later goodbye mm-hmm.